0: Australia, broadcasting around the world. Around the world. You're listening to The Mitch Maroni Show. Here's your host, Mitch Maroney. Okay, welcome everybody. On today's podcast, we've got Dr. Michael Shaper. He's formerly in the ACCC. He's the chairman of the Black Economy Task Force and is heavily involved with the Chamber of Commerce. Michael is currently in isolation making it a great time for, for the podcast.
1: So, g'day, Michael. How are you? Thanks. Yeah. Uh, greetings from isolation to the rest of Australia.
0: <laughs> so, I suppose the first one, the elephant on the room. So, the isolation, Why, where have you been and what's happening?
1: Well, I'm here because I've just spent the last couple of months in Singapore looking at the state of business associations and organisations in Southeast Asia and some important lessons there for Australia. But, of course, to get back, one's got to spend a fortnight in isolation, keep the boundaries safe for the country. So I haven't got a hardship posting here, though, Mitch. I have got the Intercontinental in Sydney. I've got a tiny glimpse of the harbour. But on the flip side, of course, it is two weeks literally in a room with no human contact. So it's a bit of a challenge. And I think probably Netflix and your iPhone are your best friends in moments like this. Yep, yep.
0: It'd be rough. I mean, you think it'd be good for a couple of days, but I'd be going stir crazy. Cabin fever would be kicked in.
1: Oh yeah, look. When I get to the Jack Nicholson moment out of The Shining, you know, i was starting to write red rum all over the walls. <laughs> we crossed a threshold. Yep. not there yet, and uh, hopefully won't be.
0: Now, fair enough, fair enough. Now, I just wanted to start, I suppose, with your time at the A Triple C, and just touch on that, see how it went there long were you with the
1: HLZ? Absolutely. Look, I was there for 10 years as the Deputy Chairman. Australia's Competition and Consumer Commission is an unusual creature by world standards because it is both a competition agency. It's meant to make sure that markets operate freely and fairly and it's got a stamp right across a whole variety of industries, everything from big picture ones like mergers and acquisitions right through to, for small businesses, especially issues like franchising, unfair advertising practices and the likes. Mm -hmm. It's also got a footprint in consumer area. And interestingly enough, small businesses are often regarded as consumers as well. It's not just you or I when we're operating as private individuals. And we're the only competition agency in the world that has a requirement that the deputy chairman be someone with knowledge of and experience in small business itself. And for me, that comes from a long time ago, but principally, I'm sure your listeners will be really pleased to hear this one comes from, I got it all got started, my time running the Business Enterprise Centre, the Small Business Advisory Centre for the Peel region itself. So, uh, yep. well, enjoyed, the, the Peel has, uh, has been, my, uh, been my starting point there. So, look, it, it, the ACCC is a very interesting beasts. Most people would have heard of it in, in some way or another. And along the way, there are all sorts of, I guess, sometimes truly shocking cases where you see people being hoodwinked and other times where you just kind of close your eyes and think, I really can't believe that someone would try and get away with those sort of things. So whether they be cartels, whether they be false advertising, whether they be building companies trying to put up fake websites for consumers to have a look at, whether they be business people getting up and sort of saying, wouldn't it be great if we had a cartel so we'd all know what the price was? We could all fix it. it so, <laughs> been a very interesting learning experience right along the way there, right across the whole country. Yep,
0: yep. I actually remember it was a few years back now. I think it was in 2017. I heard you do a speech and you were talking about a company that had exploding wallets, like it would burst into flames which is a great idea, especially for safety and everything like that.
1: <laughs> uh, look, some of the safety areas you'd get into, because the ACCC is also the product safety regulator, those were uh, the flammable wallets. Nobody as you said, basically this idea that if you open them up, they're meant to actually sort of spontaneously flare up. But if you think about it, behind it, you have to put something really highly flammable. I'm trying to remember, I think it might have been something like kerosene or something in there to help it ignite. And yep. of course. To make doesn't burn down the house. If memory serves me right, there's also an element of asbestos in the wallets just for good <laughs> measure. <make> <laughs> if you weren't going to get it, you are probably going to get mesothelioma. Yep, yep, yep. Tell you what,
0: every time I open my wallet, it's just moths that fly out, not, not flames. So.
1: <laughs> well, we saw a lot of silly things. I mean, you, you run an accounting practice, Mitch. We saw a number of firms do things. For example, one cartel that actually employed an accountant specifically to keep tabs on the cartel and to work out for all the cartel members. And as your listeners will know, cartel activity is a really serious thing. It can attract jail time. It's about dividing up the market and blocking out other people from competing fairly. These guys actually employed an accountant full-time whose job was to make sure that everyone in the cartel was paying their dues and was actually getting their share of the, wow. uh, the undeserved rewards for it. So um, it wouldn't be an area that I'd, I'd suggest you venture into. If you're no, no. But that but that's
0: very openly, like in there, if you're employing somebody purely to make sure the cartel is working, that, that's very openly doing it.
1: Sometimes these things range from the very basic, such as a Western Australian egg firm, for example, that was selling free-range eggs, but uh, well, they weren't free-range. Yeah. It's a really basic one, right through to much more sophisticated ones as well. So all of those things sort of fall in between as well.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: It was interesting
0: because on the same one with the fire wallet, <laughs> I do remember you were talking about businesses putting up reviews pretending to be other people. And <laughs> it struck me as a, a I should not be surprised, but a thing that's very easy that a business could do that they shouldn't do, but from the consumer point of view, you don't look further into generally reviews on a business. So it would massively influence what you're doing, and essentially they set themselves up for an unfair advantage, pretending to be somebody that they're not reviewing their own stuff essentially.
1: Well, I think you've nailed it. And one of the, the problems is that, of course, the world's changed, and technology is far more important as an information tool. You know, people's first response is to Google or something today. So what people put up online really does matter. Once upon a time, it was probably word of mouth or people in the newspaper, if we thought of that, or some something like that, or a recommendation from friends and family. But today we'll Google it. So when you see firms that go to the the, the whole length of setting up fake websites, setting up fake reviews, that's not an accident, that's not a mistake, and that's not someone, for example, inadvertently like some small businesses sometimes break the law, not deliberately, but because they've just made an innocent mistake. That's completely the other end of the category. everything from... Sometimes very big firms, for example, one stage famously with Coles, we took them to court about their freshly baked bread, when in fact the bread had come from memory serves from Ireland. And interestingly enough, I'm not quite sure what came from Ireland it was half or par baked and then just finished off. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, and that's misleading at two levels. First of all, it's just not true to say, look, it's freshly baked, as far yeah. as we were concerned, but also it's terribly unfair to the little bakery that are often out the front of the same supermarkets that you find your colds in. And if you think about it, you actually do find them usually at the front because bread is one of the things people often don't buy at a major supermarket. Then we had um, cases like uh, the Nurofen painkilling tablets and they had different varieties for back pain, period pain, headaches, Mm -hmm. all the same month, just charged with different prices. So why would you charge, (laughs) for example, watching female customers have to pay more for supposedly period pain Nurofen, when it's exactly the same, it's a bio-equivalent, It's the same yeah. thing.
0: Same thing. It's purely a marketing cash yeah. grab. Like, there's yeah. no reason it would be different
1: price. Yeah. Now you need a bit of a local element of this too. For example, in Western Australia, the A has an office here in Perth, and that's a fairly active one. It looks at a whole variety of issues. Sometimes you do need the local touch. For example, in the case of beer, we had uh, Byron Bay Pale Lager, for example, which you think it was probably brewed in. I don't know. Probably Byron Bay. Yep, that would um, be my assumption. <laughs> yeah, don't wrong. But it was brewed more than 500 kilometres away and it was by a major chain. So those are the sort of ones where people think I'm buying a small boutique brewery and you're not. You also have investigators who kind of go, well, I've just found this beer and it's called Fremantle. It was Fremantle Lager and it's being brewed in this place called Palmara. Now, that's misleading and it's like, Actually, it's literally across the road from the Fremantle City Council boundary. So, you know, maybe we won't worry too much about that yeah. one as well. So, yeah. it's an, an element of common sense as well. The overarching thing is here is, you know, it's the great Australian public and uh, honest hard-working businesses being cheated out by what people say and do.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think that comes to the heart of, of what the issue is, like with all of the ones we've just mentioned it's the consumer, the general public being cheated or conned into purchasing or not purchasing based on a third party, you know. And Absolutely. If, yeah, if it just happens to be across the road, yeah, I suppose technically it's out of the area, but, you know, it's not not a huge issue. But if, I don't know, say it was Carlton or something in Melbourne and they're shipping it over to Fremantle and saying it's pretty Fremantle, then that, that's a bit different.
1: Another case in point, as Deputy Chairman, meant that occasionally I was Acting Chairman and I had the privilege of being Acting Chairman both when the carbon tax came in mm. and then the carbon tax came out. Carbon tax created a lot of work for everyone in government on its way in and then on its way back out again. Yep. But when, it, when it came back in, which was about 2012, we were sitting there thinking about, you know, how do we make sure the, the message is very important there? Yeah. There's a bit of a parallel to the introduction of the GST, which, which, of course, 20 years ago now, but making sure that when prices move because of a new tax system that people are aware of why it's moving so they're not misled, so they're not mm. effectively cheated out of, why, why am I paying more now? It's not way to move your prices, but you've got to make sure you're yeah. honest about why you're moving them. So in that case, the West Australian actually broke this story where, Brumbies had, uh, a manager of a Brumby store had actually sort of sent a note out to franchisees sort of saying, look, we're going to move our prices, but the carbon tax is coming in, so why don't we just let them take the blame for it anyway?
0: Yeah, um, I do remember that. That was, yeah.
1: You're <laughs> <laughs> very careful what you put down in an email and send out to people. Just to straight pick that one up, and then it quickly got a run in the eastern states media as well. And but that was a really great case early up to sort of say this is, this is a sort of misleading sort of stuff. Mm. So that one's a more of a, I think, an enthusiastic mistake. It's a long time in the past now. So you see all sorts of things in the commission. Looked after franchising, which is another area that, of course, Mitch, no doubt, you and your practice have, have dealt with and certainly amongst your client base, really popular, but franchising has got its own set of rules and issues as
0: well. Yeah, yeah, and it's, look, it can work but it really depends on the franchise-franchisee sort of dynamics. And even I actually had one, won't mention what franchise it was, but their entire business model from the franchisor that they were selling doesn't work. So it's not a profitable business model. We did a little bit of digging because the client was a franchisee that came on board and was struggling and stuff. We did a little bit of digging and the franchisor that was technically he was employed as it not owning it, but he had been investigated by the ACCC and fines had been laid against him and he'd found guilty and he was banned from being a company director and you know all this sort of stuff. He then you know, subsequently, and it's just a problem with the, the law of it, it, was set up the company under his brother's name. His brother was the director and everything, but he still did everything. Then his brother got pinged and now I think it was under his wife's name, the new one. Whatever it was, it was was a shit show, in lack of better terms. And I mean, one of the big problems was that it didn't work. Like from an actual business model that they were selling, it didn't work. But then there is other franchises, McDonald's, for example, whatever, that do work. And they've been around and established for a long enough time to prove that it does work. So... Yeah, there is some franchises that are good. There's some that are bad. I suppose it's like all business. It's interesting because there can often be quite a power imbalance between the franchisor and the franchisee. And I think that's important where like you guys sort of come in and stuff.
1: You're really right about that issue about power imbalance because once you sign up to a franchise agreement, it is like a marriage in a sense. You need both parties. The franchisor needs franchisees on the ground, selling products, getting customers in, etc., to make it work if it's a legitimate franchise operation. And the franchisee, of course, is in some respects almost entirely dependent on the business model that the franchisor has and how well that is managed at the big picture as well as what they do at the ground level as well. Now, you can't obviously tell people what businesses you can and can't go into. I mean, it's a pretty fundamental right in this country that we're free to choose, we're free to try our hand, free to fail, we're free to succeed. Every year in Australia, more than 300,000 new businesses start up, about 280,000 other businesses close, and that's being part of an entrepreneurial economy, and you've got to kind of welcome that. But one of the things you do need to do is make sure that right at the outset, right up front, people have access to the information that they need to make a decision, that they get honest and accurate information. And I wouldn't want to be in a position where you'd have government agencies making a decision about, what is and or isn't a legitimate business idea. For example, if we're in nineteen fifty-five, talking at McDonald's and someone has all said, I've got an idea for mass producing identical hamburgers right around the planet, mm-hmm. people would have gone, What a crazy idea because yeah. people like a local burger shop and but yeah. that'll never work and no, you can't run that as a franchise. Because it clearly does work. Yeah. Encourage that innovation. But at the same time, there is a role to make sure, especially for those really mum and dad operations of small businesses, and most franchisees are small businesses, that someone is at least trying to keep an eye to make sure that information that's going out to them is honest and accurate and where it's not, that people get picked up for it.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, that makes sense and I completely agree. Now, I suppose it's interesting, the ACCC, but moving into the Black Economy Task Force, if you yes, can talk about that, I don't know what you can talk theory. about with that, but... <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, so the black economy refers to it's Also going by a variety of other names as well, Mitch. They sometimes the shadow economy, the grey economy, the informal sector as well. In Australia, that can be something as simple as a trader coming around saying, "Do I do this job for you? I'll do cash? You know, I'll knock off the price for you if we just do cash." And you can see that there's a there's some of that that goes on, yeah. Uh, but then again, the, the black economy can also refer to much, much more serious activities, and that includes everything from uh, a really interesting one is illicit tobacco. That is a huge sector. The amount of illegally obtained tobacco that is uh, shipped into this country, is a real problem, actually. Really? And it's one that, yes, it's a really interesting one, one that Border Force spend a lot of time working on, that independent grocers, for example, the small-scale standalone grocery stores are particularly affected by this as well because it basically undercuts the sales they make on legitimate Hmm. tobacco as well. That is one that you think of. There are other forms of black economy can involve people being paid cash in hand rather than through the wages and salary system. And also perhaps it can be even far more nefarious sort of stuff like a bit of human trafficking and and the like as well. So it does range from some of them, let's face it, you've probably to put the innocuous category. Really, if you're paying your trade a couple of bucks less, that is not as serious as someone who is moving drugs. Illegally trafficked wildlife is another one in Australia as well. There's some quite horrifying consequences. Human trafficking, all of those sort of areas as well. They're the ones that obviously are the, the ones that have some real implications. So as well as being the fact that in some cases it's also a great conduit for organised crime as well. Mm-hmm. Organised crime does exist in this country. Mm-hmm. So a couple of years ago, a initial inquiry by a committee set up by the federal government identified the black economy as being an issue and also made a number of suggestions as to changes for them. Some of those are already in place, um, Mitch, you, may have noticed, for example, through your practice that there are now some increased reporting requirements for some particular industries. Cleaning industries are one of them and the such like. That's because the research seems to suggest that there are a couple of industries there where people are either being paid cash in hand or off the books in one form or another. There's also um, a more coordinated effort about illicit tobacco because it was one of those areas that was falling into the cracks. Is it the police? Is it border force, there are a couple of other agencies as well, which one of these is responsible Mm -hmm. for it there's also been talk about whether or not we should be encouraging more people to move to cashless payments because that makes it harder it doesn't remove the black economy because black economy will continue to exist and cryptocurrencies for example are a great example of how the technology affects the black economy but it's a never ending race, so for example one hand technology enables cashless transactions to be done a lot more easily, which is a lot of people say that's great. Well some business operators say that's I don't like to handle cash. If it's cashless, I don't have to worry about money being stolen. I don't have to worry about my tax records. It all just hmm. in a good sense it'll flow seamlessly through. That's yep. <laughs> that yep. was beautiful. Yep. Call on that one, yeah. But at the same time, technology also allows things like cryptocurrencies to exist that can also be traded across borders without any real trace as well.
0: You've been listening to the Mitch Maroney Show. Mitch Maroney Show. Stay tuned for more.